Good morning, church. My name is Nick Porco. I volunteer currently with the student ministries. I've been attending Oak Point Can since about mid-June. Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 5, verse 12 to 15. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along with who was a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome. Good morning, Oak Point Canton. How are we doing? I love coming out here. It's uh, such a privilege every time um, I'm able to speak here. Uh, and I was just so excited when Mark uh, called me up a month or two ago or something like that and just asked me to um, if I'd be willing to. And I said, yes, let's find a time. There's got to be a way. And it's only about the series that you guys are in. I'm so excited about that. So it's just such a privilege to be with you guys this morning. I'm so excited to be opening up God's Word together with you guys. Um, and I'm also ex- uh, super excited to be in this series with you on uh, the miracles of Jesus, the miraculous moments of Jesus. And one of the things we find as we walk through all of these stories is that they always, always leave the people who saw them in in firsthand wonder and amazement. You see this in every single one of them. And this is really good for us to see because in many parts of Scripture— especially the Gospels, they can, be, they can become so ingrained in our hearts and our minds uh, that we kind of take for granted the parts of Jesus that should be genuinely shocking, that should surprise us in every way. You know, the people in Jesus' day were constantly stunned at him. That was their usual reaction. Uh, very rarely did anyone have an encounter with Jesus where they left it saying, yeah, that's about what I expected. That was, that was about what I expected. You know, I came, I came and I saw it, and now I'm going away. Like, that, that's just not the reactions that people have from Jesus. Always people's reactions to Jesus run the gamut of scratching their head in, in wonder or confusement, uh, skipping and shouting with joy, maybe walking away with awe, uh, or stomping off offended in a huff. Like, that happens too. And, and then everything in between, Jesus always left a powerful impression on those who experienced him, always. So what a shame is it that it often doesn't leave us with one as we watch his work and his ministry. So that's what we're going to be doing this morning. Uh, Together, we're going to watch and experience his work and ministry as he performs another incredible miracle. And we want to have the same mindset that the people in the moment saw it and that they experienced it and understood it. It should leave us with a sense of awe of who Jesus is. Now, last week, Mark led us through uh, the story of Lazarus, where Jesus performed arguably one of his most famous miracles, where we see that his timing is always right. Even if it doesn't look right in, in, the, in the front, it doesn't always look uh, like it's supposed to be that way, but Jesus' timing is always intentional. His plan is perfect. It's a perfect plan from beginning to end, and we can trust him for that, even in the midst of our suffering and our pain. Today, we're going to see something similar uh, as we're going to see a man in pain. And we're going to see a man in suffering, and we're going to watch to how Jesus reacts to it. Now, I know Nick already gave us um, the reading, uh, but I want to do it one more time. I, like, really uh, thought about, like, 
are, are we good? Like, because we already did the reading beforehand, but I want I wanted to read through it one more time together. This is very early in Jesus' ministry, and it shows up in three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And whenever it shows up in more than one Gospel, it's a pretty key moment. Uh, and this account shows up right after Jesus calls his first disciples. So this would have been one of the very first miracles that his disciples witnessed him do. And so as we read through this, as we, as we experience it, I want us to put ourselves right there. You are new to this ministry. You've just started following Jesus. You've seen him do some amazing things. You've seen him say some amazing claims. But then this happens early. And this is Luke 5, 12. While he was in one of the towns, a man was there who had leprosy all over him. He saw Jesus fell face down and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And then he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded you for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But the news about him spread even more and large crowds would come together to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. So here we have Jesus doing something that would have surprised and astounded everyone around him. A man with leprosy, uh, which that's not really a medical term uh, in the Bible. Pretty much any disease of the skin was kind of lumped under this umbrella term of leprosy in Scripture. So we don't know exactly what medical condition this man had, uh, but it was bad enough that he was seeking Jesus out and begging him to heal him. And it was bad enough for him to be considered a leper in his day, which meant that he was cut off from the Jewish community that he was a member of. He was likely cut off from his family. I mean, he was an outcast in every definition of the term. In Leviticus, God lays out the process that someone had to go through if they're found, found out with a defiling disease. Uh, they are to be put out of the community, still given food and water, but placed outside the camp where they can't infect anywhere else. Like the, the only way to describe this is quarantine. Uh, that's, that's what it is. And I don't mean to use the Q word uh, if it brings up PTSD for us, but that's what it is. That's, that's what's happening here. Uh, it's quarantine. You go outside the community where you can't infect anyone else. You're given food and water. It's not like you're like destroyed or, or killed or anything. It's just that you, you need to be put in a place where you're not, you're not going to put anyone else in danger. But then God laid out the process that you had to through in order to be declared cleansed, which is basically uh, meant that your body, body fought off the disease so that you could return to the community. Um, and in this process, the priest would physically examine your body and make sure that the disease was healing the way it should. Now, at this point, this is, in our modern perspective, all that you would need, right? You would need someone who knows what they're doing to examine you and make sure that you're healing. And then once they declare that you're no longer infectious, you don't, you need to be in quarantine anymore. You can go rejoin the community. You're good to go. Uh, just make sure that the disease is healing. But there's a very important step in this whole process that should take us off guard if you're following this. And it's the reason that it's a priest doing this and not just a community doctor. The Jews had doctors back, back in this point. They had community physicians, people who would uh, tend to each other's wounds and sicknesses and things like that. But it wasn't a doctor doing this process. It was a priest. And here's why. Because in Leviticus 14, 19, and perhaps the first time in church history that we were turning to Leviticus on a Sunday morning, uh, this is what God says. Then the priest is to sacrifice the sin offering and make atonement for the one to be cleansed from their uncleanness. After that, the priest should, shall slaughter the burnt offering and offer it on the altar together with the grain offering and make atonement for them. 
and they will be clean. You see, there's something much deeper than just the physical disease that's going on here. For the Jews, a disease was not just an unfortunate, random physical experience. This is the way we tend to think of it, uh, but that is not how they saw it. it was, for them, it was spiritual in nature. It was the literal, physical manifestation of sin. That is what disease and sickness was. That's why it needed an atonement sin offering by the priest before someone could be declared clean. It needed atonement. A physical disease needed atonement. Now, for many Jews in Jesus' day, this meant that the sick person did something wrong, or maybe their parents did something wrong for them to deserve that sickness in some way. Because if it's a spiritual reality, then if it's something to do with sin, then obviously you did something to deserve whatever that sickness or disease is. And Jesus literally rebukes this thought when his disciples pass by a blind man and they ask him, hey, Jesus, who's at fault for this guy being blind? Is it him or is it his parents? Like, what did they do? Like, what did they do that this guy was born blind? And Jesus just stops and rebukes them and says, that is not how sin works, okay? That's, that's not, that's not the, the case here. On one hand, sin is something you do or don't do that misses the mark of God's intent for you. That is true. It, it is an action that you do or do not do that misses the mark of God's intention. But it is also more than that. The understanding you see in Leviticus is that sin is also something that's deeply rooted itself in creation after the fall in Genesis. So deeply that it's now ingrained in the hearts of everybody. And sometimes that sin literally manifests itself through physical disease that shows itself on the outside. Now, that does not necessarily mean that a person did something specific to deserve that sickness or disease. That doesn't mean that. It just means that after the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis, sin entered the world and it brought every evil, wrong thing with it. Sickness, death, probably mosquitoes, like anything else you can imagine that shouldn't be like God's perfect intent for God's work, his creative work. Sin is not a new thing. It's an old thing, and it warps and corrupts God's work. That includes our physical bodies. It's kind of like uh, the chicken pox virus. I like to think of it like that. Um, I grew up in a, in a time uh, right before the chicken pox vaccine was a normal thing that all kids had. Um, and so like any good American family, uh, the, there's only one way to deal with chicken pox uh, when you get it, is that you make sure it spreads to all the kids uh, in the family. Uh, and I remember my sister just suddenly one day had all these like red marks on her body. I didn't know what it meant. But then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my, my mother, out of the kindness and generous heart she had, uh, brought home a large McDonald's milkshake uh, and gave us four straws to all like drink out of the same milkshake. And I was like, wow, mom, that is so kind of you. Now, my parents never do this. Like they never, ever did stuff like this. Like we were very frugal. We didn't spend more money than we, than we ought. Uh, like if we ever went out, like it was, it was waters and the kids menu until we were at at least five years past the age that you're allowed to be like, a, you know, order from the kids menu. And so like, this was very odd that my mom brought home a milkshake for all of us. And she just said, Hey, I just love you guys. I just love you guys. And I just want you to, to enjoy this together. I'm like, mom, I love you too. I love you. This is such a generous thing. I just, I just love that. And sure enough, after like a week, we all had chicken pox, like just like that. Uh, and that's how trusting I was, right? That's how trusting children are. They just like completely trust you no matter what. My mom obviously did that on purpose. We all had chicken pox. And the reason obviously is so that you can just get it over with and you're not going to get it again. 
Once you get it one time, you're good, right? You, you endure the week or so of, um, of the, the virus all over your body. Your body fights it off, and you're good to go. But here's the deal with chickenpox. It doesn't actually leave your system. It doesn't really leave. It just goes dormant. You'll recover from chickenpox, and you'll look, and you'll feel fine, but you still have that virus lying dormant in your body. Your body's just healthy enough to keep it at bay. It, didn't get, it doesn't get rid of all the enemies inside you. It just keeps them at bay when, you're, when you experience them. And sometimes that chickenpox virus will literally manifest in your body later on in the form of shingles. It's the exact same virus. It's the exact same thing, creating these painful blisters all over your bodies. Uh, and anyone who might have experienced that, I can, I can see the shivering in the crowd. Like, no one likes that. It's not, it's not a fun thing. This is how people in Jesus' day understood sin. This is how people in Scripture understood it. We all have it, and sometimes it physically comes out in the form of a disease like leprosy. And it's not necessarily a punishment or something you did wrong, but it is a representation of things not being the way they're supposed to be. So hopefully now you see this shocking power of what Jesus is doing here. It's not just that he's courageous enough to walk up to an infected person and touch him uh, and, and potentially bring like, the disease to him. It's not just going against some dry Jewish tradition against touching lepers. In his time, in his perspective, he was walking up to someone who had a literal contagious sin all over him. That was a big deal. And by touching him, he was defiling himself physically and spiritually in the eyes of his people. And yet, you don't see any hesitation in this story as he walks up to him and says the words, I am willing, be clean. You don't see a single bit of hesitation. And Luke's account is actually missing something really powerful here that we have in, in Mark's account of this moment. Uh, now, unlike Luke's gospel, which is a collection of eyewitness testimony from people who were with Jesus in person, Mark's gospel is basically an account from Peter's perspective, and he dictated it to John Mark later on. So let's see what Peter saw in this moment uh, in the gospel of Mark. It's a little bit different, so watch for a difference between the accounts here. In Mark 1.40, then a man with leprosy came to him on his knees and begged him, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. You see the difference in the accounts? It's subtle, but it's powerful. It says, moved with compassion. Jesus reached out his hand, and he touched him. That might seem like a pretty unimportant detail right here. Well, you're like, oh, obviously Jesus moved with compassion. It's Jesus we're talking about. Like, he's compassionate. We all know that. You know, like, hippie Jesus with sandals and the lamb over his shoulder. Of course he's compassionate, right? We, we, don't, we kind of breeze right past that moment. But this is a very important detail here. And the Greek word is really fun. And I don't always do this. I don't always like say what the Greek word is behind uh, a translation, but I think it's a really fun one. So in that one phrase, moved with compassion, that's just one Greek word behind that. Uh, and it's splognizomai. Such a cool word, right? Splognizomai. Who uses that on a, on, a, on a daily basis in your conversations, right? But that, that's the word, splognizomai. It's a mouthful. It only shows up a handful of times in the Gospels. But it's a really cool word because it's a sensory word. It doesn't mean compassion in the mind. Usually when we think of compassion, we think of someone like being compassionate in the mind, like, oh, I, I feel for you, right? I'm, I'm giving my sympathy to you, right? Like a mind cognitive kind of compassion. That's not what it means. 
It's not good thoughts towards someone else. Splognizomai is the verb, verb form of splognon, which means your gut. It means, means your gut down here. The Jews felt that your heart wasn't here. They never, they never felt that way. They, when they talked about the heart, they didn't talk about this. They talked about this. It was a gut thing that they, that they meant. It was this deep gut feeling, like, like you get when you're deeply afraid. You, you know what I'm talking about? That deep fear that you have, and it comes out, and you just feel it right here, right? We, we sometimes call that like the butterflies or something like that, like this like deep-rooted fear, and you feel it all the way in your gut. Or sometimes you feel it when you have this great, deep affection or a love for something else. I've said before that I'd, like, I didn't know this, but when I had kids, like, I, didn't, I didn't realize just how much love I could feel for them. And uh, someone asked me after a couple years of having kids, and they're like, what is it like? You know, because they didn't have kids yet, and they were, they're, uh, their wife is pregnant. And I said, I, I, all, I can, all I can say is I love them so much it hurts. I, I don't know how to describe that. Like, it, it hurts how much I care for them. It hurts how much I love them. It's a gut thing. It hurts right here, right? This word is actually where we get our English word spleen from. So that's your fun fact for the morning. Um, so it literally means that Jesus was moved deeply in his heart his gut, this love, this affection for this man. It's intense. And if you're familiar with Jesus' teaching, you've seen this word before. In Luke 15, Jesus tells a story of a man and his ungrateful, rebellious son. And in this story, this man's son demands his whole inheritance from his father before he, before he dies. And then he goes off and he blows it in reckless living and he comes back to his father, destitute and penniless, this disrespectful, rebellious, horrible son. And let's look back into this story that Jesus tells in Luke 15, 20. He says, but while his son was still a long way off, this is coming back from blowing all his, all his inheritance. While his son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion, splognizomai, filled with compassion. He ran, he threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him. There it is again. How did Jesus feel towards this poor man in front of him right now? With this understanding, seeing, fatherly love, this compassion that goes deep into your gut. And this is what should surprise us about Jesus. Even more than this supernatural, miraculous healing, which is surprising and amazing, the same thing that we saw last week with the story of Lazarus and his family Jesus knew this man. He understood him, and he loved him. Jesus' compassion sees and understands us. That's the real miracle here. That's the greater miracle between these two things. When Jesus came to see the family of Lazarus, we get our smallest book in the Bible, or smallest verse in the Bible. Uh, and Mark said last week, we should all memorize this verse. Jesus wept. Great, great verse to start your memorization campaign out. Uh, Jesus wept. But why did he weep? It's because he genuinely empathized with the people he loved. He loved them so dearly, he wept with them. Even though he knew it was about to happen, he wasn't, he wasn't weeping over the death of Lazarus. He was weeping over the, the sorrow of the people he loved and cared for. That's a big deal. Another example is in John 4 when Jesus meets with the Samaritan woman at the well. He, he knows her and he understands her so powerfully that she runs away crying the words, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. He sees her. And here again, we have a man 
who is so outcast from society that people look away when they see him in their periphery, and Jesus doesn't look away. He understands him, and he heals him. He's moved with the love that even a father has for his wayward son. And you can't love what you can't know. You can't love what you can't know. If you truly love someone, it means you, you know them, right? There's a world of difference between saying the words, I love my son, or I love my wife, or I love Tom Hanks. Those, are, those don't mean the same thing, right? Like those sentences are not the same, right? You might, you might love Tom Hanks's work in his movies. Um, you might think he's a, a great guy. Like maybe he says some good things. You're like, oh yeah, Tom Hanks is great. Uh, but you don't love him, right? You don't love him. You don't know him. And Jesus couldn't love you if he didn't know you. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says about Jesus' ongoing ministry for us, his present tense ministry for us in heaven in Hebrews 4.15. He says, For we do not have a high priest who was unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Jesus empathizes with you, meaning he knows you. He understands you deeply. He can see the world from your perspective. That's what empathy means. Uh, have you ever wondered what the difference between sympathy and empathy means? That like we kind of use them interchangeably, but there is a difference, right? They're both from a Greek uh, background. Sympathy is the combination of sim and pathos, right? Same pathos. Pathos is like your soul, your mind, your your spirit, right? So to to sympathize with someone is to like try to have the same understanding, like the same pathos. But empathy is deeper. Empathy is empathos, in pathos. It means you don't just try to like, like understand, you try to see from where they see. You go into the pathos of the person and you look at the world around them from the eyes that they're looking at. That's the word that's used here. Not too long ago, uh, I, was, I was in our house and our whole family is in this crazy energetic state, um, which is like every day. Uh, but our kids came home from school. Um, I have four kids, uh, and they feel like men. Uh, and we're, we're, we're home, and we're in this like crazy post-school before dinner window, which is like the absolute most chaotic time. Uh, that's the most, the, the most chaotic window of time. Uh, and everyone is just going nuts. Uh, it's a little cold out, so no one's outside. Everyone's inside our tiny house, uh, and everyone's playing and running around. Sarah's in the kitchen preparing dinner. The dog is running around chasing the kids. Uh, and I just look over at one point, and I just see Lily, our youngest, who's just sitting in the middle of the living room floor, just kind of watching everything. Like, wow, wow. Right? She's only nine months old at this point in the story. Now she's, she's a toddler. This is a whole different beast. Um, but at this point, Lily is nine months old, and she's at the best, glor most glorious time of babyhood, um, which is right when they were able to interact with you. They can laugh. They can giggle. They can play a little bit, but they can't move. Oh, that's the best time. That's the best. You can just put them in a, on a spot on the floor, and they'll just sit there. It's the most beautiful, glorious thing. And then it ends eventually, and you're like, oh, I just long for that time. Uh, and, and now they have movement and no judgment still, you know. And, but, but this is during that glorious moment. She's still on the middle of the floor. She can't move. She's just sitting, and she's just looking at everything. And I just remember looking at all the chaos around her, and I thought, what does she see right now? I wonder, like, what is, what is she looking at? And I literally went over and I laid down on the floor next to her. And I just, I just looked at the house from her level. I, I put my face 
right next to her face. She thought this was hilarious. Uh, and I just like put my face right next to her face and I just looked around at everything that I was seeing and the world changed. Everything changed. Our short eight-foot ceilings became a, a towering cathedral. The kids are now giants lumbering through the house. Sarah is, from, from Lily's perspective, huge. From Lily's perspective, right? She's a walking skyscraper. Right? Our dog went from being this smallish, like, you know, small to mid-sized 40-pound Labradoodle uh, to being an elephant, like an absolute elephant, like towering towards her, and he loved to lick her face, and his entire tongue could just clean her whole face in one lick. I mean, it's, it's insane. Her world is vastly different than mine. I mean, no wonder babies get scared so easy. I mean, could you imagine the, the world from their perspective? And what we're seeing here in this story of Jesus healing the leper is God himself coming to earth to get to our level, to put his face right next to our face, so that he can truly empathize with our weaknesses. So that he can love us at this deep gut level and heal us at the deepest level that only God can reach. When Peter, what Peter saw in Jesus' eyes in Mark's account, when he dictated his experience to Mark, was love and compassion and understanding at the most intimate level. Do you guys feel like you're unseen by God? That he's distant or that he's far off? He's worried about bigger things. And you're left to deal with things here on your own terms. And even if God does deign to reach down from the throne of heaven and sometimes majestically help you out here and there, it's not like he can really get what you're going through. Right? How could he know? But that's a lie that comes straight from the pit of hell. That's not true. Jesus came so that you could be saved that through your faith, trust in his work, you would be rescued from eternal death. But he also came to kneel down to your level and see the world through your eyes, to empathize with your pain and your suffering, your confusion, your hurts, and then heal you. There will be great cost for your life for following him. It's not an easy path, but he's the only one who can reach into your soul and heal every single part of it with eyes of compassion and understanding. He's the only one. You are seen, you are known, you are understood, and he is willing. So what do we do? What do we do with this story? It's a short story, but it's powerful. Well, first, we need to let ourselves be healed, right? The leprous man is such a good picture of our reality because remember for Jesus and the people of his time, this was not just a medical issue, right? This was a spiritual issue. The man needed healing for more than just his physical ailment, and Jesus healed him at the deepest possible level. Are you walking around like this man, covered in sores and sin that has infested your life and your heart, and you just need the healing touch of the Son of God? He's not just like a doctor who only sees your condition and he sees you as like, like just another page in his folder of, of something to, to deal with and a person to, to, to handle. He's the Savior and the high priest who can understand and truly understand you and everything about you. And he won't turn you away. He will stretch out his hand and he will say, I am willing. So come to him and be clean. Wherever you are and whatever you're going through, come to him and be clean. And then we put on the same eyes of compassion and seeing that he has. Let Christ's love and compassion for you serve as your foundation 
to see others with his eyes. Listen to what Paul says as he instructs the church in Ephesus, a church, a a group of people that have been given this, this beautiful, compassionate love from Christ. And now Paul's telling them, all right, now here's what you do with that with each other. Here's what he says in Ephesians 4. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul's saying we we need to see others through his eyes. We need to see others through the eyes of Jesus. When everyone else looked at the man with leprosy, they saw an other. They saw an other, like an unclean, gross, contagious liability to avoid at all costs. That is what every other person in this man's life saw. And that is not what Jesus saw. Not once. And when you see other people, with what eyes are you seeing them? With what eyes are you looking at them? Do you seek to understand them? Do you seek to know them? Jesus didn't just press the God button to have the ability to understand us. That took work. That took some serious work. He went through a lifetime of humanity, pain, suffering, laughter, joy, heartbreak, and grief so that he can genuinely do his homework on you and bend down to your perspective and look at the world through your eyes. Are you doing the same? Are you willing to do the same kind of hard work for others? Whose eyes do you use when you look at someone? If you're thankful that Jesus didn't turn you away but welcomed you in, then be his instrument to do that for someone else. Uh, Do you know what I did when I bent down to put my face next to Lily? After a little bit, I was like, okay, I'm satisfied. I now now know what she sees. Uh, Then I just stood up, and then I picked her up and just started walking around with her. Now, I wasn't trying to make like a spiritual point or like some deep thing with or anything like that. I just wanted to hold her. Like that's all it was. And I just ended up walking around with her. And this is what God does for us. He first starts out down here. He sees the world through our eyes. He says, okay, that's pretty messed up. Those are some scary things. Let me pick you up. And now let's look at the world differently. Suddenly they don't look so scary or big or problematic. They look small. And then when you start to see other people, you see him, you see them with the same eyes of compassion and love that the Lord is seeing them. He changes our vision. So come to Jesus. He knows you. He sees you. And he wants to heal you. And he's willing. And then go see the world through his eyes, inviting people into his gospel of love and salvation. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for this incredible story of, of healing and, and miracle, Lord. But this story is, uh, is so much deeper and greater than what it might first look like. God, you didn't just heal this man from his leprosy, physical disease, Lord. You healed this man in the way he truly needed to be healed. And he responded by going to tell the world about what happened in his life. God, make us a people like that. Make us a people who are healed by you, who come to you honestly with the things in our life that are, that are wrong, that are, that are covered in sin, that we need Jesus for. We come to you with everything exposed, nothing hidden before you, and we accept your healing touch, your hand of salvation in us, 
And Lord, then we go to the world and we start seeing other people through your eyes. Lord, make us a people that do that. Make us a people that see each other with the eyes of Christ, not with the eyes of this world. If there's anyone in this room, Lord, who need that healing, Lord, I just pray that you give them the courage to do that, to come before you, to talk to someone from, from our church here and help that. And if there's anyone here, Lord, who is not seeing others through your eyes, God, give us the right vision to see. Lord, forgive us for our unwillingness to see others through your eyes. And then give us your vision and give us the courage to look through it. Lord, we pray this in your name. We thank you. Amen. Thanks so much for coming this Sunday. Have a great rest of your Sunday, and we'll see you guys next week.